Welcome to a special edition of the Portically Yours podcast. I'm Yvonne Booz. For the past few years, this segment has showcased poems from Northern Illinois writers and a few from other states. Portically Yours has given you glances of the poets, but it doesn't allow you to hear the depth of these artists. This podcast serves as a backdrop for this weekly series. April is National Poetry Month, so I thought it would be fitting to share a conversation I had with two inaugural poet laureates. Well, you could say they had a talk with each other and I listened in. Karen Phillip Christensen is the first poet laureate of Aurora, Illinois, and Christine Swanberg is the first one for Rockford. These two ladies have so much in common. Take a listen. What made you want to become a poet laureate? Okay, I think I have a question for Christine first before I take a stab at this. Christine, are you the first poet laureate for your community? Yes. So we both share that. Okay, we both have that. Um, I'm just always thinking about ways to get people interested in poetry and less intimidated by poetry. And I thought this would be an opportunity um, for that to happen. I had a really good network in place of people in the community and nonprofits and in the educational world. Um, and I was involved in quite a few volunteer activities. So it was it was easy for me to think about if I were named Laureate, what it is that I might be able to do. Yes, I think I have kind of a similar story. Um, I had uh, been writing very seriously for well over 50 years. I'm, I'm in my mid seventies and I had done a lot of editorial work uh, and a lot of publishing and a lot of community organizations. And, and actually um, I, had, I was kind of in a more of a still spot where I wasn't out there as much as I used to be. I, I used to be out there all the time, um, you know, with different writers groups and giving readings and, and it kind of went more, um, I don't know, I, I, I did a lot of national things too in the meantime. And so when I saw that they were offering this, I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. I, I didn't actually think I would get it necessarily, but um, I had enough time, like you, I was retired to um, do the application, which was quite rigorous. And, and one of the things that was really hard about it is there was a, a page limit to what you could put on your resume. So I had to really pick, you know, I mean, 50 years worth is a lot, uh, but I thought I had the, the uh, gifts that were needed to make this work because they, they made it very clear what they were looking for. Um, they said, uh, oh, uh, create a substantial new work commemorating the city of Rockford through works that speak to, for, and of our region. And then what we're doing today, collaborate with other city and state poet laureates um, when possible. And there was a long list of things that they expected. And I thought, well, I could do these things. So I'm gonna give it a try. Before the opportunity came up, had you ever had any inkling, all the years that you've been writing poetry, that you wanted to even be a poet laureate? And I only ask that question because, you know, as a poet myself, the inkling hasn't hit me yet. So I want to see if, if this is something yeah, that no. crossed your mind. No, I can't say that this was ever on my uh, list of things I hope to accomplish. And I was not aware that um, municipalities even had poet laureates. I mean, I was certainly aware of the uh, US Poet Laureate, and I knew there was a state laureate. Um, and I think, well, for Aurora, this was a big leap uh, because I'm, in fact, it's never been clear to me where the idea came from 
to have a laureate. I honestly do not know what inspired the mayor and his staff to say we need a laureate. And Karen, um, Christine said she's been writing for about 50 years. I think you've been writing just as long, right? Yeah, I was to say, Christine, we're probably close in age. Um, I'm in my early 70s. I've been writing since I was a freshman in high school. So I'm guessing <laughs> you and I came from a similar um, time when there was a lot of interest in lyrics and music because um, that was a big trigger for me when I was in high school. And um, yeah, but unlike Christine, the only, I never made an effort to, to go out and have, um, seriously have published works. Um, my, I, I've done a lot of readings, I've done workshops and so on and so forth, but I was never really intent on trying to put together um, a book and have it published. I've got, I think I'm working on my 28th manuscript and the manuscripts typically have about 30 plus poems in them, but I have always made them available as PDFs to anybody that wants them. Um, I, it's probably about 10 years ago, I, I spoke with a publisher at, um, who was a retired professor from University of Illinois, and I just wasn't convinced that there was enough market for poetry books without me spending a whole lot of time trying to distribute and sell those books. And I just, it just wasn't something that I was interested in doing. Well, I came to find out uh, during this last uh, round of finding a new laureate, because the term is two years, that uh, one of the number one things that uh, the uh, people on the committee, and I was just a consultant, I did not have an actual uh, vote. Um, they really, really were, uh, their base was publishing credits. And yeah. I didn't know that. Um, and uh, so they were looking for, because they had um, a, a, a diverse committee and some of the diversity was academic. Uh, there were academics on there that were looking for um, prestigious national journals, that kind of thing. They were looking for um, not self-published books. And I didn't mm -hmm. think, I didn't, I didn't even know that that was an issue with this at all. So I, um, but I learned that it was, they, they wanted a, you know, this kind of, um, kind of a national, uh, nationally known person if possible. And I don't think I would have described myself as that, but if I look at all the places that I published, I suppose you could make a case for it. And I think the reason I got into that was um, being our age, um, I was a teacher uh, in a high school and we were allowed to have sabbaticals every now and then. And I had oh. this burning desire to write because I was the creative writing teacher and I always wanted to be a writer, but we were raised in an age where you women didn't set out to do that. You were right. going to be a teacher or a nurse or, you know, a secretary, but, um, but you really never said, I'm going to be a writer. But after teaching creative writing for my, about 15 years, um, I, I realized I had not lived up to my own promises, you know, mm -hmm. that I had not done what I said I was going to do, which was I wanted to be a writer. So I started taking a lot of classes and that in those classes, they really, um, they were academic classes and they, they really suggest that you shoot for the top, you know, that you send your work mm -hmm. to the best places. That was kind of the academic way of doing things. Of course, now I realize that that whole um, venue has changed, that um, it really just about everybody is self-publishing and just about everybody is mm -hmm. doing readings rather than books. Um, and it right. was something, you know, that I, that I did learn that, um, 
but but I guess I sort of fell into it because um, that's what they were looking for. So um, that's why I started doing it. And then I was sort of insatiable. Um, no one knew this because I didn't talk about it, but it would be like, well, if I get something in English journal, then I can die. You know, my life is complete. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, and then I'd get something in English journal and, oh, that, that's all there is, you know, and I just kept going and going and going and reaching further and further. And um, what I did was if somebody liked my work, I stuck with them until they didn't like my work anymore or they got a new editor. You know, that was, yeah. and so by doing that, it was like this sort of, process. And I enjoyed the process very much because um, one of the things I find about sending the work out, I don't do it so much anymore, but um, it uses the other part of your brain, the non-creative part of your brain. And it's sort of the secretarial part of the teacher part and right. you can make little goals. And it's not this creative process so much, which for me is a very quirky process, the creative process, but um, the sending out process is very structured. It's so funny for you to say that because um, my degree is in social science. My degree translated into the field of urban planning. And that's what I ended up doing. My day-to-day -day life was managing grants, a very technical and very administrative kind of job. I did a lot of, a lot of paperwork and I did a lot of technical writing um, because I was writing plans and reports for the federal government and so on and so forth. But anyway, the poetry really ratcheted up for me. I needed, I needed to nourish this other side. And I was very grateful, interestingly enough, I think we didn't, in Aurora, there was no committee to select a laureate. Um, it was basically the mayor and his uh, chief communications officer. And they asked for admission, uh, they had asked for applications. I think about 25 people submitted applications. And then they did interviews. A large reason why I was chosen, particularly because I was the first one, you know, out of the box was because I had this community network in place. Christine, I was going to say something um, to you. Just wanted to let you know, you gave me a prompt. Okay. <laughs> and I'll say that's a poem. So um, you said I hadn't lived up to my own promises. I think that's very profound. And I think that a lot of people don't even realize they're letting themselves down and not really delving into what they really want to do and what they really want to be in this life because of life. But I think that that's a good way to say it. I, I, I let myself down. I didn't live up to my own promises. Well, it wasn't an easy road, though, um, because one of the things that I found was after uh, I did become more of a writer, then I didn't have quite as much energy as I did for the teaching. So I had to go. I went into um uh, part-time teaching instead so I would have more time to write even though I know that you don't make a living with poetry I guess I don't want to be too new agey but it was like you know the higher self was saying yeah. you have to do this you have to make a, yeah. a sacrifice if you're going to do this thing um, and sometimes I wonder why I did it <laughs> you know it's like looking back and going why did I date that guy you know it's like uh, you know kind of a kind of a funny thing like why did I think that was a good idea? So for me, the poet laureate position, and, and we did have the interviews and we had to perform and all that too. And I brought, you know, all the things that I'd worked on in the community as well um, to let them know that I was connected and maybe in ways that they wouldn't have realized because when I first started out, um, I was very, very lucky. Um, I got noticed right away and, um, and I was always in the paper and all this stuff. And then there was this lull for a while. You know, so I kind of 
went underground. Um, so I was happy to be able to show other things that I had done um, and, and even some of the teaching things and literary magazines from high schools and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, we, we did the same thing. And ultimately it was the city of Rockford, the mayor, the Rockford Area Arts Council and the library. They were the three sponsors of the laureate position. Uh, so that's, and, and I don't know how it evolved at the beginning and why they decided they would have a committee or, or whatever, but they did. And it was a tough committee. I mean, it was a large committee and, um, you know, they were, uh, I think they had some robust conversations about what they were going to do and what, you know, what the platform was going to be unbeknownst to me, you know, all I know is all of a sudden this was the icing on the cake. Um, and as I told somebody the other day, I don't personally think I can go any farther than this. Um, you know, the, being a, a city poet laureate is probably as far as I'm going to go as far as, um, you know, getting noticed in a way. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way. I mean, I don't know, uh, kind of completing the journey. Because if I'm being really honest about it, I don't think I'm ever going to get a Pulitzer or get a Guggenheim or any of the things that, you know, the really academic poets that are in colleges, for example, and they're in this culture that does this, I'm probably just not gonna go there at all. So for me, it was, um, you know, at my age, especially the icing on the cake, it was like, oh, okay, this is what it all led up to. It's very rewarding um, and, you know, it's kind of a thrill except for COVID kind of ruined it all, but, but it was hard to give, um, you know, you can't really give us, I don't know, a sparkling reading on Zoom. You know, I right. like to walk around and interact right. with people. The old teacher in me likes to do that and show some joy and that kind of thing. And, you know, doing right. this on Zoom has been really, the only good thing about it is you can only see my face. So, you know, no. the rest of it is all covered up. I always joke about that. But. I'm thinking as you're telling your story that probably my favorite accolade in all of this whole journey when I retired in uh, in 2012. So there's a tradition among urban planners in King County, which is that there's a luncheon every year, a holiday luncheon, and we have a plaque that gets passed around to people for um, individuals who are identified as the King County Planner of the Year. And usually it just goes to somebody that's been around for a long time. But anyway, the year that I retired, to my surprise, I was given that award and the plaque, but in the presentation speech, what they said about me was, well, Karen is retiring so she can go write poetry. And I thought, what a great, <laughs> yeah. what a great thing for your colleagues who are not academics and who are urban planners. They're not coming from a literature um, world at all. And I, that, really, that really made me feel good because it was almost accomplishing, this is before I was, uh, eight years before I was appointed a laureate, but I felt I'm already out there having this influence in terms of making people in my community think that poetry is something that can be taken seriously. I've never taken a creative writing class or a other than in you know high school with my English teachers, but I signed up probably about 15 years ago for a, a poetry class at Wabansi Community College. And it was a non-credit class and the teacher was really good. Um, and probably the third session, she said, you know, what I wanna do is help you find your voice. And I went home that evening and I said, you know, I know my voice, I have a voice. What I need is discipline. I need to say, I'm gonna get serious about writing. 
and I'm going to spend time doing this. And I know Yvonne knows the story because I've told her it before. For three years, I got up every morning at 530 in the morning and wrote. And on the weekends, I would edit what I was writing. And that suddenly unleashed um, a flood. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've had a similar experience. So when I talk to anybody about writing, I just talk about discipline. You know, there's so many components that make you a, a good, or make you a writer, good, bad, or different. But that, that thing about getting down and putting your butt in a chair and writing was so powerful for me. And, and, and having, being accountable to myself. It wasn't that I was thinking I was gonna be sending my work out anywhere or trying to meet any deadlines. It was to be accountable to myself. And I love what you said about um, responding to your higher self, to your higher purpose, because that's truly what I feel writing has done for me. I, you know, I have two children. I think I did a pretty good job as a mother. They may not agree. <laughs> I have a granddaughter that I spend a lot of time with. Um, but to me, this, this experience of writing has been totally about my higher self and my better self. Well, I do completely identify with what you said, because um, before I went to part-time teaching, I would get up around five in the morning before going to class. And we, got, we had early classes too. And I would write. And I had the same experience where the floodgates just flew open. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really thinking about where I was going to publish the work. Don't, you know, that wasn't, publishing didn't come before writing. Yeah. But, but my thought was, because maybe I taught so much Emily Dickinson and she put all of her, her uh, poems in a shoebox under her bed that we don't have to do that anymore. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and be bold about this and, and send the work out. And, and as I try to explain to people that I don't look at it as an egotistical thing, I look at it as, as a fulfillment of mm -hmm. something. And then I was explaining this to the, to the, actually the, uh, the committee um, that I think a, a, you have to understand that a poem has a, a different kinds of lives. You know, one is the writing of it, one is the sharing of it, but the sharing of it can take many forms. Mm -hmm. I like it when it takes all of the forms. It's like, okay, first it's written and it's revised, then it's um, maybe sent out. I wait for it to get published. And after I get like lots of publications, then I start looking at what's there. Is this going to make a book? And okay, what belongs in this book and what doesn't belong in this book? My books tend to be a little longer and they seem to have sections. Um, and then some of them don't fit at all and they have to wait until the next book or whatever. But then comes the reading of the poems um, to an audience or the performing. I'm, I'm not a performance artist. I'm a little too old for that. But um, you know that to me is also part of the life of the poem. What I found in, the, uh, in this particular role though is there was a whole nother life that I didn't know about, which is the commemorative poem because I never used to write commemorative oh, yeah. poems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those have a life that will never get published, but they might be, for example, I wrote a poem for um, uh, uh, Wesley Willows. It's, a, it's kind of an old folk song. And they have a fund called the, Samar the Good Samaritan Fund. They asked me to write the poem. I like that, but it's scary. It's like, okay, you got to tell me about this fund before I write about it. And right. so I made it into a sonnet because I thought the people that would be at the banquet where they were going to celebrate this would probably be even older than I am. And they might expect some rhyme or whatever. And they did the sweetest thing. 
they took the poem and they made it into a beautiful bookmark. And then they, they tied it along with all the other little gifts the people at the banquet got. And then I got to read the mm -hmm. poem. To me, that felt completely fulfilled. I will never publish that poem in a book. You know, it's too commemorative. But so then I realized there was a whole nother life to poetry that I didn't know. It was hard. You know, that really resonates with me because what if I, I'm not a person that likes to be told what to do. And so, you know, when we first talked about this and the mayor said, well, we want you to write poems for various occasions, you know, Memorial Day, 4th of July and so on. Yes. I thought they'd be really hard for me. But I found that to be opening up a whole nother channel. And yes. there's, there's three examples of, of what you were describing that have really stuck with me. Within a few days of my being the laureate in January of 2020, the mayor conducted a memorial service at East Aurora High School for a young man who had been killed in military service in Afghanistan. And he was a graduate of East Aurora High School. And um, I was asked to write a poem for this memorial service, which I did, which I think it's a completely different kind of poem than I would have ever thought myself capable of writing. And I stood in front of the audience, which was all the East Aurora High School students that are part of the um, ROTC program there. And it's, I think, one of the largest ROTC programs in the country. And the mother of um, Private Avia Young, who had been killed, and all his ROT instructors. And words resonate with people and, and I could see, you know, you watch the faces of the people for whom you're reading to see the effect that my words were having I, just blew me away. Mm -hmm. I, it was, it's probably in, in my life of experiences, probably one of the most memorable things that will ever, that will stay with me. The other two things that were not as dramatic as this or as heart-wrenching, we have a local service club, um, Zonta, a sorority of people and they asked me to write a poem that they could put on a tea towel and use as a fundraiser and they did it and then they gave me a framed copy of the tea towel and I was totally blown away by that too because this notion of someone asking you to do something and giving you a prompt what's the theme I didn't know that I would be able to do that um the last mm -hmm. example was my oldest daughter's company runs a uh, leadership program within the corporation and they were having a graduation ceremony for people and international company and I sent a poem and they did the same thing gave it to their graduates and they sent me a framed copy so that notion of being able to write on demand if you will was completely new to me mm -hmm. um, it just didn't occur to me that this could be the role of a laureate but I was delighted to have that additional channel opened the commemorative poems that, that was almost, I'd say a good half of the, of the job. Um, and they took the form of fundraisers as well. And I love those kinds of collaborations. In fact, that's the, the theme I ran on. And there were, a, a, you know, a lot of other things like that. I think I did charitable events, you know, quite a, quite a bit. Um, and I, I, and I would just have my books there and I didn't sell them. I, I, I just said, you know, whatever you want to put in there, then that's going to go to this organization. Because yeah. my feeling was, it's such an honor to be the or any poet laureate right. for that matter. It's not about the money at this point in my life. I, I don't want to schlep around with that anyway, but you know, um, it, so I tried really hard to be generous, but it was a lot behind the scenes that people didn't know about. 
you know? Right, right, yeah. right. You know, I did, I'm thinking of another really fun project that I did because um, I, one of the things I felt bad about the pandemic was I had hoped to get out more and work with kids, mm -hmm. not really necessarily high school kids, but, but middle school and junior high kids. But anyway, our public art commission had a series of videos that they posted on YouTube over the first summer of COVID. And their, their purpose was to try to have things that kids and families could do at home while they were in isolation. And they were art-related um, ideas, art-related programs. So they asked if I could think of anything that I might be able to do for this YouTube video. And um, I knew about Shel Silverstein's poetry. You probably know about this. Mm -hmm. I went on the HarperCollins website and did a little bit of research. My husband is an engineer and a gardener, and we made a poet tree in my front yard because I live on a fairly busy street. And I took um, one of Shel Silverstein's books, Runny Babbitt, which I love, and type poems and put them in plastic sleeves. We hung them from branches of a tree that would be very easy for little kids to reach. And so that was my poetry, and it's on, you know, it's on YouTube. And that was so much fun and really was not the kind of thing again, that I would have ever thought to do. Um, that connecting with community in, in a way that, that was fun and resonant and got a lot of attention. Um, so again, a really good thing about being the laureate, even in the, in the world of COVID. All right, I put myself on mute because I'm like, I'm just going to let them have a conversation. <laughs> I just <laughs> felt like I kept interrupting you guys. So, um, and then I wanted to circle back really quick, Christine, I had asked a question earlier in regards to ever coming up thinking you would want to be a poet laureate. And I know you were talking about how you um, didn't live up to some of the promises. Was being a poet laureate one of those promises? I can't say that, uh, you know, that was something that would flow through my head. Um, people would ask me, you know, well, and I'd been... Uh, somebody said, well, would you like to be the, you know, nominated for the state poet laureate? And I thought that would be way too big a, a job for me. I, I, I wouldn't know where to begin. And, um, and then, uh, you know, uh, when the city laureate came, I thought, well, yeah, but no, it wasn't um, on my list of things to do. You know, my list of things to do was, yes, I wanted to be published. I wanted to have books. I wanted to give readings throughout the country. You know, I, I didn't want to just be a Rockford poet. In fact, that's what I was doing for the last 20 years was going around the country. Um, so yeah, those were the goals, but no, Poet Laureate really wasn't in there. Uh, it was a nice surprise, yeah. Did the role, and this is for either one of you guys, did the role or the appointment, did it live up to your expectations? So I think it just kind of unfolded as it unfolded. The big, the big trigger for the city, I think, was to have someone to do these commemorative poems Mm -hmm. at various events and COVID got in the way. But I felt I just kind of made this, but I was interested in making it. I don't know if I should even be saying that in public, I, but I made it into what I thought I would have fun doing and what would be meaningful for me, other than the commemorative official poetry, you know, rather than having a defined role, because every individual writer is unique, every human is unique. So we all bring different ideas and different thoughts and, and I think that's part of the thing that I love about poetry. In my mind, there's no rules. There are forms that you can follow and practice just like a visual artist 
you know, learns how to draw based on the, the masters. And, and certainly I've tried to do that to make my work better. But what I love about poetry is the freedom. It, it's, it's such a free art in, in, in my opinion, it really is. Well, as far as living up to expectations, I really did try to follow it. It actually says expectation of the position on the on the sheet that I'm looking at. And, uh, you know, the little secretary part of me goes, OK, check that one off. Check that yeah, one yeah, off. Yeah. And it was a really good guideline. But mostly I hit the ground running and did mostly things I did, you know, on my own. I didn't necessarily always answer to the, the supporting organizations. Um, uh, and they were very happy to know that I was a self-starter. Um, I think um, one of the most fun things that we, there are two things that I, that really stand out as really fun. Um, I wanted to create an event that wasn't just for poets, because I think what happens um, is that there's like poetry camps, you know, there's this group and this group and this group, but they don't necessarily come together. And then there's the whole idea of an audience of non-poets which I wanted to establish. I wanted people to come to something, not because they were gonna get up and read, but because they just were there. And so we came up with the idea of the art scene poetry prelude. And what it was, we have art scene twice a year in Rockford and it's, it's a pretty big you know, event. So it, this was held one hour before the beginning of art scene on Friday night at city hall, you know, making a statement, this is, this is our city. And what we did was invite any kind of poetry, any age group, uh, 16 and above, any style of poetry, uh, any sexual orientation, you know, anything. We wanted to get a, a really good uh, mix of who is in Rockford. Not necessarily the best poets in Rockford, but who the people are. And there, the requirement was that they were to write a poem about a piece of Rockford art, which is pretty specific. Yeah. And Rockford has a lot of art. I mean, it's a surprisingly arty city. I mean, murals and sculptures and art scene and all that. And they had to submit the piece they were working on. I guess you would call that ekphrastic poetry, but we didn't use that word. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, it was juried. Well, um, we were surprised. We had a wonderful turnout both times. And um, we held it at City Hall and it was packed. And it was really, really exciting. It was a prelude. And then the idea was, now these people will go to art scene as well, and we've collaborated. And then I think um, the other really fun thing that I loved doing that had really nothing to do with what I was asked to do, but everything to do with what my theme was, which is um, uplifting Rockford through poetic collaboration. That was my theme. And um, I got together quite a bit with a, a musical group called Trina Dora. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but it's a man and a woman and they're just fabulous. I just, I just love them. And we would do, um, it, it used to be Just Goods, but now it's Inscapes. We would do, they would do music and then I would pick up on the theme of the music and read one of my poems. Um, and and we kind of go back and forth. And sometimes they do three in a row and sometimes I do two in a row. And then, you know, it wasn't always every other one. And to our surprise, they were well attended but they were also very well received which made me realize that poetry can have a bigger place in the scheme of things if it can somehow cross boundaries and mm -hmm. barriers. And so those were two really exciting things. Besides, I did write a lot of commemorative poems. I think I wrote like 25 
um, commemorative poems about sculptures. And I think uh, the Suffragette Plaza, all of that stuff, very, very exciting. But that was a re for some of the murals, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that was very exciting, but not quite as much fun as those other two things were. Yeah, right. There's an infinite number of things that can be done. And as long as you've got people in the community that are enjoying and, and resonate that with which with whom this is resonating, you know, the, the sky's the limit. Well, one of the things I wish I could have done more of because it was COVID, I really wanted to collaborate with musicians more. Yeah. Because um, I'm a musician and I, I would like to trade trade off on that. But because of COVID, my situation, I have a 97 year old mother and a uh, you know, just people that I can't, I couldn't get COVID and give it to them. I just couldn't early on. Anyway, I got over that in the last year or so, but um, that was hampered. I mean, it was hampering to do this during COVID because you can't do that kind of collaboration on Zoom. I mean, I can't, it's not the same when you're not right. all together with an audience. So that, that was hard. Um, what they did though, yeah. I don't know, Karen, if you got this too, the city set up um, a Facebook page just for Poet Laureate. So a lot of what I did was on social media, which didn't come easily to me because my age and all that, I had to really learn how to work that. And I did. I learned how to work. I like Facebook a lot now, now that I'm used to it. So I would always put like almost every day for the first year, something on the Facebook, not of my own necessarily, but maybe something from the Poetry Foundation or maybe something about what was happening in the community, Poetry Slam or whatever. Um, I, I know I put a lot of the Poetically Yours things on that website too. And, you know, just trying to keep the, the community informed. Um, so that was the, the, the underside of it was having to get better at technology because I was terrible at it. And I told them that when I started, it's gonna be a really big well, learning curve. No, I would agree with you. I think social media was a huge gift. One of the things that we did at the outset, um, even before COVID, the city created a Facebook page for our poet laureate. And I reached out to everybody I could think of. And for about a year and a half, every day, I posted a poem from a local writer. Mm -hmm. um, so we had, you know, however many, 365 plus 180 poems up there. And then in May, um, we discontinued that because I was hopeful that the city would appoint a new laureate. But what I've done on my Facebook page since May is post one of my poems every day. I found social media to be really a great thing. And I think probably many people were drawn to Facebook that might have otherwise not used it because of COVID. The other thing too, in it to the panel with um, Yvonne, um, the Piano Theater and our Public Art Commission back at the beginning of the pan pandemic sponsored a couple of really nice panel discussions that were on just about creativity. And I was grateful to be able to participate in those as well. Both of you guys are retired. Do you think this particular um, appointment is something that a person who's not retired can really give their all to based on your experience? Like if you were still working, how much would you have been able to put into this appointment? Wow, that is a really tricky question. Yeah. I don't know because somebody that is still working is younger. And I have to be honest, I don't have the same amount of energy that I used to have. I think a person that is younger and has a huge amount of energy could probably handle it. I mean, you know, it's it, it can be as much as you want it to be. It, um, 
uh, you know, when I look at the, here's the checklist and that's all it is. You know, that's, I mean, it doesn't go on for pages and pages. So you, if you just did that, you could do something every two weeks, you know, and it just, you start out and you want to do something every day. But I, I found as the two years were, you know, I, I was winding down and I had done, you know, things like that. So yeah, I think you, you could space it out. I think a person could. Yeah, I think it, I think if you're retired, you, are, if there's something you're really passionate about, then you fill time in a way that you wouldn't, you know, if you had other obligations. The other benefit of being older is you have fewer family responsibilities too. You know, you're not as, as involved with raising kids or taking care of um, other people in, in your household. Although, Christine, it sounds like you've got some elderly relatives that you're responsible for. Um, yeah, I think, I think the, to me, the benefit of a younger person is there's a couple of benefits. One is energy level for sure. The second is connecting with a younger audience. Um, and the third would be what you were talking about, Christine, about that ability to collaborate across disciplines. So to get more artists, visual artists and musicians involved. Um, I think younger people often are tuned into those networks in a way that older people are not. All right, so I'm gonna wrap it up um, here, but I just have uh, one last question before I find out if there's anything else you guys wanna talk about. What is your next feat? What's the next thing you guys wanna do? And, and Karen, I know that your appointment is pending. I don't, I don't think it's officially over yet, right? Right, right. Okay, okay so what's next for you guys? You've been to Poet Laureate, where else can you go? I know, Christine, you said, you know, this is it for me, but what other creative endeavors do you guys have going on? Well, I'll still be involved um, with, there's a, a school, a local school in Aurora, Fred Rogers uh, Magnet Academy. It's a public school for kids on the east side. And I've connected with the eighth grade language arts teacher and the learning resource director there. And I'm gonna go back in April, whether I'm still the laureate or not, and do a workshop with the eighth graders. Um, I'm, I was for many years on the uh, Aurora Downtown Board, which are the business and property owners in downtown Aurora. And they have generously agreed to continue a program in April for National Poetry Month that we just call Poetry in Public Places. So we'll keep doing that. And other than that, I don't think I have anything officially I'm part of a writer's group um, that was formed almost 10 years ago called A-Town Poetics. And we meet once a month at our library or on Zoom. And I certainly will continue to stay involved with that. That's very important to me personally. And I always have to add the disclaimer that I'm the co-founder of A-Town yeah, Poetics, especially. Right, right. Well, I thought you should say that, not me, but yeah. <laughs> what about you, Christine? You know, you're like the fourth or fifth person who's asked me that. And, and every time someone asks me, I don't have an answer. I'm kind of just creatively adrift at the moment. Um, I, I feel like this, I, I thought about a book about the phases of a poet's life, you know, where is there an existential element to being a poet? Is, is it a certain kind of personality that is a true poet, for example? Um, and in the phases that people go through, the, the open mics, the affiliation, uh, the publishing, the books, you know, the readings, but then what's, the, what's the, final, the final phase? And the only thing I can think of is 
for me, it's recycling. Um, one of the things that I really love is when somebody reads my work somewhere and asks if they can reprint it. And I'm kind of hoping that I get more, you know, more of that kind of thing where it keeps going, but I'm not working as hard at making it happen. And then um, based a little bit on um, some of the things I've done in the poet laureate position, music. Um, I love music. I'm very involved in music. I used to be in actually four different music groups and then COVID came along. Um, and I liked, I, I'd like to write lyrics. Um, I don't have a knack for it. There's a certain thing that you have to do with the refrain and there's a certain thing you have to do with modulation that I don't quite understand. Um, and I'd like to understand more of that. Uh, I wanna collaborate more with musicians, but basically it feels full circle and serene and done, if that makes any sense. So. I'm not feeling particularly poetically ambitious at the moment. Now, I know Karen writes music. Maybe she can get with you guys. And I, here I am volunteering. That's Volunte right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, and Christine, I started out um, writing lyrics and music when I was in high school because it was the acoustic guitar smoke mm -hmm. song phase that I went through that all my friends went through and I abandoned the music because my lyrics were pretty good but the music was not um <laughs> I too am a musician <laughs> yeah I, I too am a musician but my preference is um playing other people's music <laughs> not my own <laughs> well you know what I really love though is if I write lyrics and I give them to somebody that's a really good musician yeah. and they yeah. write the music it blows me away because yeah not anything I would have considered I mean I remember a song I wrote for our church it was called there's something coming and it's a storm of love and it was around the Hurricane Katrina era and our we had a church group that went down and worked on it and I gave it to a, a wonderful composer who's also our director to do something with and I had sort of thought it was going to be there's something common do 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 and he made it into this gorgeous lyrical piece that just, you know, flows and goes up higher and higher. And I thought, man, how did you do that? You know, and that's kind of more, I said, I like to write music, but I don't really mean I need to write the music parts. I'd like to collaborate with somebody that excites me. And I hope I can yeah. make that happen more. Yeah. I know what you're saying though, because I was a folk yeah. singer too. And, and, and the music that I would write was pretty, I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even want to know <laughs> no right right exactly yep now is there anything else either of you would like to share with me so I'll start with you Karen I want to say thank you for to you and WNIJ for Poetically Yours um I think that has absolutely opened the door to so many people that would not necessarily have paid attention to poetry. And you've given a space and a voice to so many really talented poets. I got my next Poetically Yours promo. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Christine? Anything well, else you'd like to add? That's exactly what I would have said too, because I know that um, your program is highly respected. I know a lot of non-poets who are very familiar with Poetically Yours and say, you know, you should be on that, Christine. I said, well, I have been on it. And it's just, you know, wonderful. Um, and, I, and I think I would probably like to thank also the mayor of the Arts Council and the library 
for, I have no idea exactly why they came up with the idea or how, but I'm grateful that they did and that they chose me. Mm -hmm. And Christine, do I have any of your poems that I haven't played yet? Do I need to go back into my files and pull some out? No, I think you've played all the ones that I, I sent you. You're welcome to use them again. Or send or, me new. It, you guys can send me new whenever you want because it just seems like I keep getting them. So it's kind of like my whole rotation idea is out the window. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> I just lost track. I was so organized at the beginning, but um, I even got something from somebody in Uganda. Can you believe it? Yes. Whoa. As so long I, as it's not a request for money. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a point. And I'm like, how'd you learn about me? And so she yeah. was friends with someone in Utah. Mm -hmm. which Utah, I was like, how did you learn about me? So that's exciting. But I still yeah. say this is Northern Illinois, but I do accept others. So that aren't a part of um, the Northern Illinois family. So I thank you guys for um, saying that Poetically Yours is respected and letting me know that poets aren't the only ones listening to it. I'm going to say goodbye to both of you. Have a great weekend. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Listen to our weekly segment every Friday at 12.31 p.m. and 6.18 p.m. on 89.5 WNIJ or at 3.59 on 90.5 WNIU. If you're a poet and would like to be featured on this segment, send me an email at yboos at niu.edu. Special thanks to the Nick Monte Trio Band for sharing their sweet jazz tunes. For Poetically Yours, I'm Yvonne Boos.